2: Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Okay, and rolling. Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the Inside Tri Show, sponsored by Form Swim, smart swim goggles with real-time metrics as you swim. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Tri Show I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. Happy New Year by the way, I hope you had a good time over Christmas and didn't have to work too hard if maybe you're a shift worker and we're still working Over Christmas, I was very, 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 very lucky to be able to go and see my brother and sister in law in Australia. I don't get to see my brother very often, as you can probably imagine. So it was pretty special, to be honest. And it's mad, utterly mad, to think that this is now the fourth January in a row that I've done, like, obviously, a podcast in January. It's crazy. We're still going, we're still here. And I'm saying Happy New Year on the Inside Tri Show. And in the past, I have kicked off with some like inspiring stories and some more about hey, let's start training that brain from the off (laughs) in the new year. This time out, it's a pretty inspiring one, I reckon. And it is a guest who has shaken up the unwritten. Rule book of life, I'd say. It is Jo Bradshaw. You'll be hearing from her. I will also share details, again, if you haven't seen it yet, haven't heard it yet, about an amazing opportunity for female listeners to get a free place at the Rock Wales in September. It is a really, really, really good opportunity. Mark, thank you for your note. You said cracking podcast, with Nikki and Michelle Dillon talking all things, hormones, health, and training. Very, very insightful, great work. Jessica, you said, wow, just brilliant. It was informative about HRT. I am off to see my GP again, I think. I know another listener said similar. Just listen to this. Defo gonna book an appointment with the GP and now I'm off to the gym to do some strength training. Trudy, you said, thank you. It's been a weird time for me. I guess training a lot, you forget your age sometimes. I was sort of prepared for the physical symptoms, but not the issues with my mental health. So it's great to hear that side being spoken about. The more awareness clubs and coaches have, the better. And then Nia you said, amazing episode, essential to all women, not just athletes. Diane, well done. So this week's episode is brought to you by Form Swim, Smart Swim Goggles, which I am a huge fan of. And they did get put to good use when I was in Australia because one thing I did a lot of was lots of swimming. And I can't believe I did this, but in the first week alone, I went swimming in the sea. For someone who hates swimming in the sea, I went in the sea, sharks and all. I mean, there weren't any sharks, thank goodness. Checked on the app. Uh, Four times in six days. So I was really, really, really happy about that. And I managed to swim a lot more than I normally do at home and really made the most of the opportunities to be able to swim in the 50-meter pools outside. It's ridiculous. They're like literally on every blooming corner. And one of the other things that I managed to do with the form goggles for the first time was actually use one of the features, which up until this point... I hadn't.
0: Well, I finally figured out how to do the custom builder in the form goggles. And it's pretty simple, really. You just go into the form app on the phone. I've put in my warm-up set. So it's 400 freestyle easy, 6x50 drill on 10 seconds, and then 6x50 as 25 fast, 25 easy and you could separate that but I've just put it in as 6 by 50 and I've put it in as build because I know that then that's going to be um fast and easy and then you can add a subset so it says oh select how long you want to rest before adding a new subset so that will probably be 15 seconds and then I can then go into the main set and I can type in my main set um, and then once I've built the workout it probably takes I don't know maybe five minutes but that's I think if it was in training peaks or something you just drag it across whereas I'm actually physically building this one so yeah about five minutes and then you hit save and then you can you have to then save it to your goggles that's the mistake I made one time put turned up the pool I was thinking where's the workout I did so yeah save it to your goggles And then when you're in the pool, you just turn the goggles on, hit workouts. And then at any one time, it can save five workouts. And then you can follow it along. And it's really cool. So I did that this morning when I was swimming. And yeah, no problem at all. My one tip would be, one tip, um, if you are swimming in an outdoor pool whereby there's lots of light, then you need to change the brightness on the goggles because at some point I hadn't done that because I'm used to swimming indoors so yeah outdoors it can sometimes you can't really see the display so then you can see it if you change the brightness so lesson for me to do that but yeah workout builder it's great what a little feature so
2: it's just another funky thing that the form swim goggles do to keep you motivated as you swim. For a 15% discount, head over to formswim.com forward slash pages forward slash inside try show I have put links in the show notes. Time for this week's interview. If you have ever felt like you wanted to make a massive career change, maybe quit the nine to five and do the seemingly impossible thing of following your Passions. Well, this week's guest, Joe Bradshaw, proves that it is indeed possible. Joe used to work in an office as a business advisor, but a skydive and a bike ride were the triggers for Joe's life to take a completely different pathway. She has spent the past decade and a half working as a freelance expedition leader and outdoor education instructor. She's done nearly 40 ascents of Kilimanjaro. She's undertaking the seven summits, so the highest peaks on each continent in the world. She's got one left to do and she even has a few triathlon plans in the pipeline for this year. Joe Bradshaw, welcome to the Inside Tri Show. Joe, how is it going? Because I know you've had a busy kind of couple of days, just got back from somewhere, just going off somewhere else.
1: Yes. Yeah, just uh, on Friday afternoon, I arrived back home from a month in Nepal, and I'm off to Antarctica on Saturday, which sounds very exotic, but I'm actually going on a ship. So... <laughs> I say a ship, it's a, it's a Hertigruten cruise. Yeah, so when this goes out, I'll actually have been there, come back, and <laughs> we'll be enjoying all the photos. <laughs> and is,
2: is it quite normal that, you know, it is very much like I don't have a whole load of time at home and, you know, one flight, one expedition, and then another expedition? Or is it just that it's all happened a, over the last couple of months?
1: Kind of yes and no. I mean, I. I my job as an expedition leader, you know, I book in expeditions throughout the year and I try and get some gaps in between. It's just so happened since September that it's been one after the other after the other. I had nearly a month in Tanzania doing two Kilimanjaro's. And then uh, I was home for three days and then went to Nepal which was supposed to be five weeks. Um, and then I was going to be home for four days and then going off on holiday. Um, uh, it's just the way it's happened. But, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm a little bit, my head is a bit all over the place. At <laughs> so God knows what is going to come out. In this I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure
2: it'll be great. But I, yeah. um, because yeah. Lucy, Lucy Gossage had been, had spent the day with you yeah. and, um, and she said, Helen, yeah. you need to get Joe on, on your podcast. She's really, really yeah. interesting. And then I emailed you and you were like,
1: I'm away quite a bit. Yeah, oh, Lucy. The the day I spent with Lucy. So we were doing the Youth Adventure Trust hike bike paddle. And I was sort of asked to join the group of three other ladies, including Lucy, um, so sort of three weeks before, having done not much specific training for it. And it was really hard. <laughs> the eleven mile hike was fine. I'm used to doing that. And then there was a thirty no, what was it? A nearly forty mile virtually off-road mountain bike um course. This was in the Yorkshire Dales. It was immense. And we actually stopped for coffee and pancakes near the end because we were also well, Lucy wasn't, she's was like an absolute machine. But the other three of us were like, Why? <laughs> I think Lucy realised in order to get us home up an eighteen percent hill, we needed some a carrot, and the and the carrot was definitely in the form of coffee and pancakes. It was amazing.
2: And are you? Did did you say that you're planning on doing um a middle distance triathlon next year, or this year even? 2023?
1: Hopefully, well, I said yeah, yeah, twenty twenty three. Yeah, my I'd I wanted to do one for a very long time I've only done one sprint triathlon which was 10 years ago um, and I do swim I do run and I do bike and I thought you know in order to do it justice and order to train because when I'm away on expedition you don't get the chance to train and when I'm home I'm usually really tired so training is a bit difficult then. and then it's not it's very in, uh, interrupted so I'm changing my work schedule this year um, in order to do a triathlon, <laughs> in order to do a middle distance. So, uh, yeah, specifically I, I I got to the point this year where I'm just away a lot and a lot of people are like, oh, that's amazing and it's really great. It is. I've done it for a very long time and I'm quite tired and I would like to do some other things. So I'm changing the way my work is. Still doing D of which I also do, so I teach expedition the expedition element of the DV. And that will allow me time to train as well. Um, but you know, life is short and I'm not getting any younger, and I want to just see what I'm like at this. I did a um I did a last minute duathlon. In September, just to sprint one again, and I came so that I was last by quite a long way, but I was happy with that because I didn't I couldn't train for it. But I remember coming off the bike leg and standing up in my saddle, and my <laughs> legs went. Yeah, saw it. I there's no running going to be happening more. And i right, I right, definitely need to do some proper training for this. So it's been a long-term ambition, and I've got myself a wetsuit and I started open water swimming at the end of last season. I have a good bike. I can run. So I'm like, I just got to go for it. Yeah.
2: Amazing. I love this. I love this. And one thing that you said there, and I know you're very, very passionate about is about mm. life's for living. Right. And I, you, you've said many, many times, like life is yours for the taking. Have you mm. always had that outlook and attitude
1: no not at all I think um I mean I've always been a fairly positive person but a little bit cautious I didn't have much confidence when I was younger and it wasn't really until I hit my late 30s and and moved from a world of business into a world of adventure and that came through doing a parachute jump which led on to an overseas bike ride for charity which then led on to working for the company um, that ran the bike ride called Discover Adventure, who are based in Salisbury, which is where I live, I, where I live now because I, ha- I didn't, I moved down to be to go and work in their office, and then I went freelance. And it's the more you travel, the more you experience different cultures, the more you experience different. Um, so many different things you know I have to think on my feet really quickly as an expedition leader I'm dealing with lots of different people from different backgrounds who have different stories and different motivations and I think my positivity has grown so much over the last sort of 15 years or so that I've been doing this because I'm getting the most out of life there's still more I want to do but I've kind of you know I've experienced things I never, ever thought I would. I've seen places I never thought I would. I've met people, the most amazing people, and experienced an earthquake where I thought I was going to die. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) you just just kind of think, okay, I've, I've really got to, I have one life. I am the master of my destiny, more or less, not always, but more or less. And it's up to me to make the most of it. You know, and it's right. not that I, I mean, find everything easy because I
2: do. You know, no, no. And 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 that's it. Like you touched on before, people would look mm. from the outside at what you do and just think you have the best job mm. in the yep. world. And I'm sure there are yeah. absolutely incredible parts of it, but there there are probably down downsides to it as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know. It's it's hard work, you know. I just when I did the two Killies, I was, and, and even in Nepal, I was out there for a month. You know, you're a month working, you know, maybe one one or two days off, at some point in the month. And you, I do a lot of expeditions, or most of the expeditions I do at altitude, and stuff can go wrong really quickly, not just with the environment, but with people as well and altitude sickness. So, it's hard work. I I'm very fortunate to be doing a job I absolutely love, but I need to get a bit of balance in my life. And I say yes to all these things because they're amazing, but actually I want to lessen the amount of travel I do for environmental reasons as well and spend a bit more time at home. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. you know, uh yeah. And be able to do some things that I haven't been able to do over the last decade and a bit and a half because I've been away so much. And it's just a life choice, isn't it? You know, I I came to this industry fairly late in life, so I've sucked the most out of it I can. There is still a lot more to come, but I will still expedition, I'll still, still lead expeditions, but less often because, I, you know... I have I have a nice home and lovely friends, and I quite like to see them. <laughs> <laughs> when you're
2: you, you do a lot with young people, like you said with Dov. E, so mm. for anyone not in the UK, that's Duke of Edinburgh. It's an incredible scheme for um, mm. teenagers, very young adults to to get into, which involves like. Uh, doing an expedition, doing some kind of service so like first aid or, I don't know, volunteering with the mm-hmm. uh, fire brigade or and then you have to do like a skill. So that could be a musical instrument. You have to do a physical activity as well. So there's all sort of elements to it. So you do lots of work with with young people, with Duke of Edinburgh and you talk in schools as well, right? If you yeah. had been in those shoes, let's say 15-year-old Joe. And current Joe mm. had come along to the school and given that talk. What would you have thought
1: as 15 year old Joe? Um, probably I could never do that. Uh, or undoubtedly I could never do that. Uh, that is, you know, what I'm doing at the moment for the 15 year old me is, was as a, as a family, we were into you know, watery stuff, so boating and sailing and stuff. Um So the love of oxygen was very much there. <laughs> and, and I think I've really surprised myself by doing what I'm doing because I never thought I was that much a resilient person, but you grow resilience through life experience. Um I never thought I would be happy living out of one little bag for a month and not washing very often, you know. All these things or travelling in different countries and stuff. I wasn't that adventurous when I was younger. I used to, you know, I mean I was I'm fifty one and back in the day when your mum would send you off with your brother and a couple of friends with a you know honey sandwich in your back pocket on your bikes, not you know, no helmets and just You come home at tea time. That's kind of what happened. And we loved doing that. We loved sort of adventuring and exploring in that way. But I never had any ambition to go overseas and do it or climb mountains or even climb any hills. So I think I would have listened to this person and gone, wow, that looks great, but that's not for me. I could never do that. I'm not capable. Because that was the kind of mindset I think I had I just wasn't confident you know um and I didn't have much self belief so as much as I do talks now where I'm saying to students you know I obviously I've sat in your shoes I know what it's like to be your age and to have all the worries and everything that you have as a teenager and to maybe not have confidence and to be the one that sits at the back of the class thinking you know please don't pick me that I said, that was me, you know, and it, it's amazing if you just open your mind to life and it's infinite possibilities where it can actually take you. But I also think there's a lot of, I also talk about champions in my life. So people who have championed me and believed in me, I think everybody needs quite a few of those in your life for, for, for many different reasons. Um, And it's finding them. And I, you know, talk to schools about, as a student, be someone else's champion. There's so much competition to be the best and to be the fastest and the first in class and the most popular and what have you. Actually, it's not all about you. (laughs) It's about just, you know, helping others as well. And how do you go about finding your
2: own champions?
1: Uh, I think I've been lucky in the fact that they've found me or friends of mine who think when I got into adventure, so it was actually a friend of mine who took me up to the parachute jump. I signed up to do this parachute jump in my early 30s in 2003, being terrified of heights and friends of mine knew that I was very good at saying yes to stuff and then very even better actually turning around and saying no and pulling out or doing what have you, um, finding an excuse not to go. So a very good friend of mine, Caroline, said to me, I'll take you to the jump site because in her words, she said, just in case you can't, you know, drive home um, in case anything happens. I was like, great, thanks. Uh but actually it was to make sure I went, you know, and it only dawned on me not that long ago that that was the reason she took me there is, is to make sure that I actually went. And I messaged her about it because I was talking, talking to someone else about her. And she said, we could all see the potential. You just needed to quit the excuses and try, you know, and that's the, ooh, it still gives me goosebumps. But that's the thing is that we – can come up with excuses so easily, can't we? That, mm. you know, the weather's not right or I'm not feeling too good or what have you. But actually it's a lot of the excuses come out of fear of mm. of failure. But there was what was I gonna fail at jumping out an aircraft? I was strapped to an expert. He was doing all the work. I wasn't de- <laughs> I was just adding some weight, you know, <laughs> that's all I was doing. Um and and look where it got me after that. And it was actually Caroline who then, because that I did the parachute jump for ASME UK, and then they sent me another flyer for for the bike ride in Peru. Um, and I came up with all the excuses not to do it. Um, and Caroline, and the the mate. I mean, the, there was all sorts of stuff. You know, I wasn't fit enough. I couldn't raise the money. Uh, I didn't have a bike, you know, all of this stuff. And actually, one of the reasons that I didn't have the deposit. So Caroline said, well, I'll pay the deposit. You can make me back in installments. We'll work the rest out. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> I have no get out of jail free card here. She's she's saying to me, go and do it. And having somebody like that, that point in my life was absolutely what I needed. Um, because it, it not necessarily pushing me into what happened next, but it was actually just taking that first step, which I think is hard. And sometimes you, you go and seek people out, don't you? You sort of, you know, it's like with the, the triathlons, a very good friend of mine has done a million man's and so I've asked her to help me. <laughs> yeah. And it's asking for help, you know, I know not an awful lot about triathlons i know what they are i know the distance but the training and everything is really different to what i train to do at the moment so i need help and i will go and seek help because i'm no expert
0: i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment
1: that is a harsh lesson in business
2: sports is in not as job. simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together
1: i didn't want to do another stomp
0: you out speech it opened so, up so
1: many more doors you know, the
0: show is called the, the deal. deal listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky
2: in line at the deli i guess huh. in my dentist's office More than once, actually.
0: Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play
1: for free right
0: now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Again, going back to working with lots of young people, as you do, what change do you see In young people, when they ditch their mobile phone for maybe a few days, or you know, when they're doing DV or something like that, maybe even adults. But let's go with the young people first, because that must be quite
1: a, quite a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, on DV, on on, with I mean, it's up to whoever runs the particular DV you're doing as to their mobile phone policy. But ours is no, no mobile phones except in emergencies um so they have to sit sit and talk to each other <laughs> which is which can be quite hard because they you know these days for us we didn't grow up with mobile phones they were invented as we grew up whereas for the generation i'm now teaching that's all they've ever known you know when they were born mobile phones already existed so it's not like this newfangled thing that actually gets in the way of stuff it's it's an integral part of their lives and Mm -hmm. as an instructor I need to remember that but I also need to remember that there is life without technology as well and sitting around a transient in the evening just chatting can have a really good impact on them you know it takes them out of that bubble of social media and what everyone else is doing and it just hones them into what they're doing there and now and I also um lead schools expeditions and I was in Eswatini or formerly known as Swaziland this summer and we had a a no mobile phone policy and the students you know they I was lying in my tent one night in on on our project and we'd had a really good evening we'd had a quiz and we'd um done some you know they'd done some singing and dancing with um with a choir group who are practicing in the church where we were staying and then they sat around the campfire and they were just singing and to to lie in my tent just listening to this amazing sound that these girls were producing was just incredible, and at the end of the trip, I'm like, "So, what's your favorite moment and stuff?" And they said that Friday because they really felt that they were connecting with each other, and they didn't need social media. They didn't need anything on their mobile phones. It was just about them and the mm-hmm. the girls that are around them, and it's fantastic. So, yeah, there is life without technology. <laughs> Do you ever get?
2: bored of going up the same mountain many times so like Killy, I think you've done over yeah. 35 times
1: yeah um don't get bored of it uh what i so yeah I did my 37th in October, in October which is a bit bonkers and they never set out to do so many. it's work that's the thing it's work it's like people who do Snowden millions of times or Ben Nevis or what have you because I'm with different groups all the time and uh maybe a different route different time of year so you don't always you don't get the same experience on every single trip um but what I cuz I you know since I first climbed Killy in 2008 <clears throat> and you know I could do sort of 3 or 4 a year so you rack them up quite quickly mm-hmm. um and actually I've decided this year that I'm going to give Killy a break for a little bit just so that I can go off and do different things because you know this year i've already spent four months away in various different countries and i don't want to end up just doing the same thing time time again because i need to keep fresh as well as you know the i need to see it fresh for the clients as well as for myself but i love it you know killy is a really unique environment and i work with some amazing people and i know the mountain really well which is real bonus when you're guiding um because you know there's no surprises in the environment people will always surprise you but hopefully the environment (laughs) won't and so that's really helpful and also it's nice for people to understand that they're with somebody that's experienced in where they're going but yeah there's there's definitely other things that I want to do I think when I hit fifty, I'm like, "Crikey, I'm halfway through my life now. <laughs> I better get a move on with all the other things that I need to do," because uh, the last fifty years have gone really quickly. <laughs> it, it it gets quicker, doesn't it, Joe? Life life goes quicker yeah, as you get older. I, I swear. It does. Yeah, hundred really percent. I know. It's you know, I'm, I'm going to be fifty-two in March, and I'm like, so where have the last two years gone? You know, since I turned fifty it's nuts it goes really really fast so I am keen to go and do different expeditions um you know ones that I haven't done before still going back to places that I know but just doing different things so yeah
2: can I ask you about um Everest and you've you've summited it which again is like amazing amazing is it as, this isn't the right word, but is it as bad as the media portrays mm. in terms of the queues and everything mm. like that? What
1: What is it like? Yeah, because so, I never wanted to climb Everest because of the journalistic circus that surrounds it. Um, and, I mean, I'm very glad I did go and I have done it. Um the, the queues are more to do with the weather windows than the number of people on the mountain. So the year that I climbed in 2016, we had uh, the day before we went to, up to the South Pole, which is the highest camp at 8,000 metres, mm-hmm. Um, There'd been a storm. So anybody who was due to climb to summit that day had to hunker down at the South Col and wait. So then everybody who was coming up to climb the next day joined them. So we all then went together, which meant instead of being sort of 70 people or 80 people on, on a summit push, there was double that. So that inevitably is going to lead to the inevitable queues so weather windows are one thing it like this season this may they had like two weeks of amazing weather so it meant the expedition companies could plan to spread out their summits rather than i think it was one year not long ago where there was three days in in the two week summit window period that was good so that's when you get the photos of the queues it also has to do with experience of climbers. Um, so if you get very inexperienced climbers, they're going to be very slow um, which then holds people up. and also they're not sure how to move around on the mountain or on the summit you know on the on the ridges. So that has an impact as well. but this the sort of main journalistic oh, there's big cues on Everest is really to do with the number of summit days per season. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's always quite interesting when that one comes up. (laughs) Because, you know, it's it's just a shame because it's such a, you know, it's such an iconic mountain and it's a real uh, draw for people that it just gets bad press rather than all the good stuff that comes out of it does
2: the amount of people does it take some of the
1: well, like does it take some of the
2: fun away from it like would you i i think i'm right in saying that denali is your favorite so far of the um yeah. six of the seven summits that you've done yeah. i guess it's a little bit quieter
1: yeah definitely quieter i mean when the day that we summited we got to the summit, and we were the only group up there. There was another group who had just come down, but it, it, it's the summit season is longer, so that makes a difference. You're not all squished into a sort of smaller weather window. That makes a really big difference. If, and also the numbers are just not as great. It's a very different setup on the mountain. So Denali in Alaska, you, there's no porter support. Uh, whereas in Nepal and on places like Kili and lots of other mountains that you know you have porters carrying all your kit um, all your camping equipment whereas on Denali you carry and pull all of that yourself um, so you're on a rope team and you're all carrying so 20 kilos in your rucksacks and then sort of 30 something plus in your polks so you're immediately cutting down the number of people on the mountain just by not having the support crews that you usually have. I mean, on Kili, you know, people listening who who don't know about Kilimanjaro will be a little bit surprised at this. If you have a group of 10 clients, you'll probably have 40 crew um, in order because they're weight limited as well. uh, So what they carry is, is limited. So, you know, just by, Limiting the weight, which is needed, you're going to need more people. So, when you say to clients, Yeah, we've got about 40 crew, including guides, they're really surprised. But that's how it is on the mountain, you know. um But yeah, Denali was amazing. And I love Denali because of, of the fact that we were doing it by ourselves. yeah You know, I've worked and climbed on lots of mountains where you have all this support. But actually, Denali, I felt like I really earned my summit because I had pulled and carried exactly the same as everyone else in the group. um, And we did it under our own steam. It was amazing.
2: I I was going to ask you that. Did it feel more of an achievement because you had, you know, powered yourself up there? And also because there were
1: fewer people around? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's always special, you know, when... I was even up in the... I was in the Lake Districts in the summer because I wanted to go and do Great Gable. So I was walking up and there was loads of other people there. I was thinking... Because I didn't, you know, didn't even consider that people would go up from Scarfell Pike from the north. And uh, so there was all these people around. And then everybody went left. And I had then went up Great Gable on my own. I like, this is amazing! <laughs> you know, I was sat on top of Great Gable looking across at Scarfell Pike, seeing the hordes of people up there, because I did it on Saturday, hordes of people up there going, oh, this is just amazing. And and that is the difference between picking a really popular mountain like Scarfell Pike and then one that is only a few metres lower and nobody is on there at all, you know. And that's that's whatever like. But it's the same in, in North Wales with Snowdonia, you know. Yeah. Everybody goes and climbs Snowden, whereas all of the mountains around are mu- many, many less people because it doesn't have, you know, the, it just doesn't have the name. People want to go and climb the tallest. And, you know, looking at it in perspective, um, for Everest, I think there's like 7,000 Ascents now since nineteen fifty-three. So the number of ascents are getting more or greater because the number of support staff is growing. So you're now on one-on-one climbing Sherpa to client. So you know you're gonna have more people on the mountain. But it's it's all relative. But because Everest has a short summit window season in the season it makes it feel like there's an awful lot of people there but yeah standing on top of a mountain on your own is 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 good (laughs) I'm not gonna deny you know I was stood on top of Denali on my own we each had a turn there was five of us in our group each had a turn at just standing on top the highest point in North America And it was pretty cool. And I didn't get that opportunity on Everest. But I am part of those numbers. It's like moaning about traffic on the M25. You know, we're all part of it. (laughs) So (laughs) I can't moan about all the other cars when actually I'm making up those numbers. So, yeah. And I do remind my clients of that when they moan about people on Killy. It's like we are making up these numbers, too you know it's not a unique environment for us it's it's really interesting
2: actually getting you know almost more like the inside of someone who has actually been there and summited and all that kind of stuff mm. take us to mount vincent in antarctica yeah. another one of the yeah. six of yes. the seven um summits. That must be logistically Mm -hmm. interesting to to try to get there. What is it like standing on the highest point in Antarctica, having got there yourself?
1: Upside down. (laughs) No, hanging off the bottom of the earth. It was amazing because I I never thought I would ever go to Antarctica. Um, uh, I mean, it costs an awful lot of money. and it was it was really interesting because a couple of months before what was supposed to be the sixth of the seven summits, which was Carsten's Pyramid in Indonesia, that was cancelled 24 hours before we were due to fly, um due to civil unrest. So and Vincent was meant to be the seventh and the final one, you know, and life never works out like that, does it? <laughs> right? You've got it all planned and this is gonna be it. Anyway, so, so, you know, and then when we got, um, when I got to Punta Arenas, um, uh, we were held back for three days due to bad weather. So we couldn't fly onto Antarctica because the weather has to be good um, on Antarctica. You land on this blue ice runway, so they have to have good visibility um, and it has to be good in between. Uh, chile and and antarctica so you know there's a lot going on for you know the weather people and the logistics and the everything and then we heard that we may not be able to fly out because there was a an issue with paperwork <laughs> <laughs> and we you know you go out in yeah exactly we go out and wave so i was i think uh, v three, which was the middle wave of the season, so it was me and eighty other people doing lots of different things out there. Some climbing Vinson, some skiing the last degree, some going elsewhere on Antarctica, and uh it was like, crikey, we might be here all over Christmas, you know. And that's a, that that would be expedition over. And then suddenly it was a turnaround of, no, you're actually going. So within 24 hours from being stuck there to actually you're going it's like suddenly everything happens so you're in the basically in the cargo hold of this massive cargo plane seated all very safe with all this cargo behind you and you land and you get out and your first thought is, I cannot fall over on the ice <laughs> because it is really slippery. You, do, you know, you do not want to fall over on the ice, by the way. So then you go to Union Glacier, which is the sort of camp set up, I Spent um, a night there and suddenly realise that, well, not realise because I knew, but realise that it's 24-hour daylight. Um, so, you know, buff down, mask on, everything to block out the light. And I think we landed at like two a.m., but it felt like the middle of the day. So trying to get any decent sleep and what have you. And then we we got um we went on a twin otter aircraft to Vinson Base Camp, a ski plane, and they land on a, a groomed runway on the ice uh, on the on the glacier, and it's just such a surreal feeling. Unfortunately, because I did. Denali in 2017 that's sort of what you do you you fly from Talkeetna out onto um, Denali base camp which is you know a ski runway um and uh, yeah it was great i loved it and then suddenly you're in this environment where there are no birds um there's no airplane trails uh, there's 24 hour daylight you are peeing in a bucket Um, surrounded by ice block walls, looking out, you know, onto Antarctica. And it's just the most surreal feeling. It was incredible. Um, And then just waiting for the weather window in order to, to go up to the next camps and also to the summit as well. So it's all about the weather. Everything is about the weather. You know, you think you're so in control of everything, but you're not. Everything runs around the weather, um, which is what happened in Nepal on my last trip as well. It makes or breaks expeditions. So, yeah, and we were fortunate in the fact that when, on our summit day, which was the 27th of December, we had, I mean, it was about minus 25 degrees, a bit chilly, but the wind was quite low, so it didn't make the wind chill too bad. So it was a fairly pleasant experience. <laughs> and yeah, what, I loved
2: it. what's the view like from the top of Mount Vincent? What can you see?
1: Yeah, amazing. I mean, you can see all the mountains around you and then just plateaus. You know, it's just knowing that there are so few people on that continent. And it's an utter privilege to be there. It costs a ridiculous amount of money, understandably, because of the logistics. I will probably never go back to Vincent, so I absolutely made the most of it. It was, you know, cold and crisp, and and it's a properly harsh environment, so you had to look after yourself as well. What would um, Jo in her late, I don't know, maybe
2: late 20s, maybe early 30s, what would Jo then have thought success was
1: oh that's a very good question so joe in my late 20s thought success was uh, owning a house having a fancy car having a decent job having a family getting married all of the things that society used to instill in us that that was what success looked like you know, you had to work yourself up the pro- property, way up the property ladder. You had to work your way up through management to get the bigger salary, to get the fancier car. Um, you know, you were successful if you were in a relationship and you had a family and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, I haven't really done that. <laughs> it didn't really work out for me like that. But now, yeah,
2: now. What's my now
1: Success is now is happiness and fulfillment, you know. And that sounds really woolly because how do you define happiness? It's like, well, I don't have a fancy car. I have a Ford Transit camper van, which I love very much. Um, you know, I do have a house. Uh, I am single, and I am very happy with that. Thanks very much. I don't have children, and that's a life choice. But my success in life is that I've achieved things I never ever thought possible, uh, never thought I'd be capable of. And I am now encouraging others to do that for themselves as well. So when I guide, no matter whether it's DV e or guiding you know on a 6,000 meter mountain, is that I'm teaching and instructing and encouraging people to learn more, and able to, for them to be more independent in the mountains. So they feel like they're doing it for themselves and then it will encourage them to go and do more, you know, which is fantastic. And I think for me now that is what success is. Even though I'm a positive person, I'm not always, I'm not like super happy all the time. And, you know, things do get me down and stuff this year has been pretty challenging. But I try and make the most out of situations i'm quite pragmatic and i do a lot of reframing (laughs) you know and and i think it's important to realize that life is not going to go as you had planned it's your choice how you deal with that you can either let it be a victim of it or you can go right okay this is what i have this is what has been dealt to me at this time what can I do to turn it into a positive or to learn from it in order to move on to the next thing
2: and there's one other thing that I want to just talk about briefly before we sort of wrap up and I guess you mentioned it twice at the very beginning and that's the word confidence and you said you know you Mm. weren't very confident when you were younger how Mm. has that confidence changed
1: um it was really interesting actually it was before before I got into adventure i was um i started working for an organization called business link and it back then so this was under two thousand and three i started working for them as a business advisor and but before I started working for them, I was the type of person, I was in business management and in management roles, but I would sort of sit at the back of the meeting room and not really be wanting to put my hand up or do presentations or anything. And when I started at Late, I was there for three weeks and I was at a networking event because we had to go to them. And my boss's boss was there. Um, and he said, oh, we have to do, an, a, you know, a one minute elevator pitch, excuse me (laughs) to do what? And nobody had told me in the interview that I'd have to do these events and stuff. And I think I'm wondering if I would have taken the job if I'd have known, because it would have meant stepping out of my comfort zone and doing this. Anyway, so I just had to stand up and do it. And I think that was probably a catalyst for making me just, Stand up in front of people and say stuff, and that—not that I knew it then—but that really then helped me in doing the job that I do now. Because I do a lot of briefings; I have to stand up in front of a lot of people talking about, you know, events and and um, challenges, and even like safety briefings at the beginning of each day or each evening, or even doing public speaking now. You know, I'm doing—I've been talking about my adventures since 2015. And that, I think that moment in, in that networking meeting when Jim said, just get on and do it. <laughs> it's like, oh. And I was absolutely terrified. And it took me a long time to get the confidence or to, to be confident, you know, if that makes sense. Um, and I ended up in that, you know, in, in that organization. So running events and standing up in front of big audiences and introducing people and all this and I didn't know then how much of an impact that would have on my job now but I think if you're passionate about something the confidence will come from within and I wasn't passionate so much about economic development or retail or what have you whereas now I have this passion about what I do and I think that gives you a confidence that you harness much easier as well. So yeah, finding your passion in life is is important. And it's hard as well. Oh, so (laughs) hard. Is that
2: what you would say to some students, would you you know, who perhaps are lacking in confidence and it's it's evident to see, or even some people you know, you see you must see it all the time. And it's just how do you build someone's confidence?
1: find something that you're passionate about and it doesn't matter what it is mm. and it will take you know some students go well how do I do that it's like go and try a lot of different things it's like you know if, if a student I talk to students on DV about you know what what's what's after school what are you going to do, uni-wise, or if you're not going to uni, what are you doing, and they're like, someone like, don't know, what I, I, you know, and that's the problem, is there's so much pressure to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life, which is a very long time, and I said to them, you know, you don't have to want to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life, I'm on my third career now, I started off leaving school working with horses, I thought that was going to be my life, Um, and then I went into retail, weirdly, now, I'm a mountaineer, so you don't have to stick at one thing, but you need to find something that, whether it's a hobby or a job, that gives you the passion in order for you to be enthusiastic about learning more about it, and that will then, your confidence will build from there. And surrounding yourself with people who, who are your champions as well and who are as enthusiastic about whatever it is you're doing you know you don't want the mood hoovers or the fun sponges of life you know who are just going to suck the living daylights out of you forget that move on um find people who have an enthusiasm that is infectious and then that will come into you as well so yeah
2: Quality. Yeah, I have a big grin on my face now, Joe. Thank you so, so much. There's like so many kind of nuggets and lessons and really fab stories in there. So thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. Thank you very much to everyone who has emailed so far. You might have seen on social media that, I am really excited because I'm going to be teaming up with The Rock Triathlon this year to launch the Inside Tri Show Rock Wales team for 2023. The Rock is offering five free places for female Inside Tri Show listeners to The Rock Wales on Saturday, the 16th of September, 2023. If you are a female listener and you want one of those five free places, you have to email me. It's Helen at InsideTriShow.com. Tell me why you want a place, and then we're going to pick five women to be on the team. I'm going to be chief cheerleader for you. Once the team is confirmed, we will ask you to make a donation, however big or small, to the Rock Charity Partners Move charity. I'll probably also ask you for a few training updates along the way so we can share it with listeners and inspire more women to do the Rock races the deadline to email me is January the 15th and then the team will be announced on the podcast on January the 25th. It's a really really good opportunity if you have any questions pay me an email it's Helen at com. Thank you too for all of you who have signed up and are getting stuck in to the Erdinger 5k Your Way Challenge. Loads of listeners are involved. We're having a lot of fun. You'll be able to see photos over on social media at Inside Tri Show. Alfie Puppy Dog will be getting involved in the four-legged friend week as well. So looking forward to that. If you do like the podcast, you like what I do, you want to support what I do, thank you to Jessica, by the way. You can sign up to be a patron of the podcast. It is Patreon. Dot com forward slash inside trishow it just helps me to bring you an episode every single week this week's episode has been sponsored by form swim to help keep you motivated as you swim for a 15% discount head over to formswim.com forward slash pages forward slash inside trishow the other sponsors are at the moment, are com. Use the code inside try 15 It's valid until the end of March. It's one use per customer on everything apart from heel jerseys. And do keep on telling us your goals, because we're still doing the motivation thing over on Instagram. It's at Inside try show. It is at Presca Sportswear. You just have to tell us your goal, and then you'll be in with a chance of getting a little goodie from Preska, and a form swim cap. You can also get money off with friends of the show, resilientnutrition.com and comfuel.co.uk. Just look in the show notes. But that is it for this week. Happy training. You might be doing a few running races. I don't know if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you might be doing a triathlon. Let me know. Keep me posted, helen at insidetrishow.com. But yeah, happy training, happy racing. Thank you for listening, and we'll speak again next week.